0: Good afternoon. This is Bruce O'Neill, pastor of EP Church in Annapolis. This past Sunday, uh, we were unable to record the message, Living in the Real World, from the start of our James series, uh, from chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Today, this afternoon, in order to make that up, uh, I'm in my office and going to record The content of that message. Obviously, it's not going to be the same as if uh, it was preached live in a service, but I did want to make available since so many wanted a copy of the message to do that now. Um, Again, this is a a new beginning of a new series on the letter of James. Um, If you are interested in getting the notes for that sermon, you can go on our app at EEP Annapolis and download that for yourself. Or if you have questions about the content or, or the uh, scriptures from James 1, please, uh, you can text those questions to 814 822 4505. This morning, uh, as we begin, uh, James, uh, James is a, a letter uh, written. Uh, about faith in a way that you and I are not used to hearing. What I mean by that is uh, James never mentions the cross, the word gospel, or a discussion about the resurrection anywhere in his writing. It's what uh, led Martin Luther uh, to call James, the the epistle of straw. And what he mean, meant by that was that it didn't have the gospel and it just appeared to uh, many of, of Luther's time just a, a list of 12 uh, applications or 12 um, implications of what it means to be a Christian living in the real world of ancient uh, Roman Empire. And so... Uh, A lot of people have struggled with this letter to understand it and how to understand it in light of uh, the gospel message. James' answer to that, he's not in conflict with Paul. It's two coins, uh, two sides of the same coin. James assumes uh, you have already heard the story of Jesus on Sunday. And so James, for for one commentary, calls it a, a Monday morning letter, a letter uh, for what, what does it mean now that you're a Christian, now that you're a follower of Jesus, now that you're a person who, who has faith? What does a life of faith look like in the real world uh, beginning on Monday morning? Uh, another way to see James is you think about, uh, wisdom literature. It, it, it probably has more in common with the book of Proverbs, particularly chapters one through nine. Uh, James has uh, 12 areas of the Christian life that uh, he's addressing on how to live from how to uh, communicate uh, life rather than death by the words that we use to uh, talking about suffering. And so uh, it it reads a lot like the Sermon on the Mount than it does necessarily uh, with a letter to a church. In fact. Besides the opening words, it it really doesn't talk about or to a particular uh, church. Now, if you're a skeptic and you're here listening to this message, you've got a friend in James. Uh, James, like no other New Testament writer, uh, takes on... Uh, church people and challenges some of the ways in which they have thought about Christianity and the life of a Christian. It's a very practical letter about faith in the real world. So let's take a moment and read James, uh, one, one through four. And, and then I'd like for us to think about that for a few minutes together. James 1 uh, begins with James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in dispersion. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect to complete, lacking in nothing. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord to help us understand what we have just read. Father, would you help us to understand what we hear this morning? And what? And would you help us believe what we understand? And would you help us to live what we believe in this world? Amen. One of the things you're going to notice by that reading I just gave is that the very first topic, and he gets right to it right after he tells them who the author is, James, he goes right into talking about suffering. What a, what a way to begin a letter uh, to fellow believers to begin to talk about how to handle suffering, how to face suffering, how to deal with hard things. How do you deal with hard things. Often when people uh, go through hard things, when they face suffering and trials, questions come up like, why did this happen? What is God doing in this? Why did he let it happen? When When is the pain going to stop? James doesn't really answer those questions. The reason he doesn't is If people are honest is no one can answer why you're going through a particular specific uh, trial in your life. Only God really knows that answer. All we are told by James and others is that there is a purpose, that there is a reason for it. James is saying if you're suffering right now, uh, suffering is going to be a big issue in everyone's life as Christians, even as non-Christians. And so he wants to help us as people of faith how to face and deal with it. Uh, Peter tells us that, and it's a letter that's just before James, don't be surprised when you suffer as if something strange were happening to you. Why? Why? He tells us that because we're always surprised. We're we're doubly hurt when we suffer. One, that we're going through the suffering itself is painful, but we're always so shocked and surprised that we, who are Christians, followers of Jesus, suffer too. And he's concerned that we shouldn't be surprised, and therefore he's going to help prepare us for suffering. And the first thing he tells us is that it's a test. That is, it's a trial, and the trial either uh, uh, drives you uh, closer to a relationship with God or f- it threatens your faith and it causes you to abandon your faith. Often when we go through uh, suffering, and trials, we want to give up, and we question God's sanity in this. This, It doesn't mean that something is wrong with you because you're going through a hard thing and a hard time. It just means you're going through a trial, and God has a purpose for it. And we're going to look at what that purpose is. But before we can do that, James makes a very provocative statement, a statement that that makes you stop for a moment and ask, why would he ask this right up? It's right in the, the second verse, right after he introduces himself. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That word meet there in verse 2 uh, says that when you fall into that which you never saw coming, nobody sees suffering and trials and hard things coming. If you did, you could prepare for it or you could even avoid it maybe. The truth is, you and I, we never wanted to suffer. We didn't choose to suffer. And more likely, we never saw it coming when it came. And he also says in that same verse that it's trials of various kinds. It's all different kinds of suffering, from eating disorders and addiction Infertility, can, uh, cancer, you, losing your job, losing your marriage, losing a child—those are all difficult things, if not life-altering. And and if they're not um, if they're not faced or dealt with, uh, they can challenge your faith and what you believe. And so James is concerned not specifically with what you're going through, but how do you face what you're going through? James. Won't build us up. He's not going to apologize. He drops the bomb right up front. Count it all joy. Count it all joy when someone or something, life itself, uh, kicks you in the teeth. These are his opening words of a, of the letter. No wonder why James uh, wasn't a popular in the Reformation. In what world is suffering an occasion for joy it, if one of my grandchildren were in the hospital and someone said to me count it all joy i'd be tempted to lose my faith i'd be tempted to uh, ask the doctors to prepare another bed for the person who said that to me it reminds me of proverbs 27 14. it's one of my favorite proverbs it it says if a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it shall be taken as a curse. What he's saying is is that there is a right time and a wrong time. That is, we can say the right thing, but at the wrong time, and that makes it wrong. It, it doesn't make what you're saying wrong. It just makes it the wrong time to say it. And sometimes we need to be sensitive to that. And so this... This morning when I'm talking to you, if you're going through a hard time, if you're grieving right now or, or you're suffering, I'm, I'm not talking to you. This isn't the time for uh, you to hear this. This is for us that either have been through a hard time and want to look back and try to understand it, or we know that suffering is going to come sometime in our life and we're going to get prepared for it. If you're grieving right now... I do not want to heap any more hurt or pain or um, a sorrow to your life. And so uh, uh, take what you can hear and know that, that I am not pressing in on you uh, this morning. I want you to know as another kind of introductory that James is a pastor. Uh, James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and really uh, feels the onus of the responsibility of all the Jewish Christians of his day. And we know that uh, uh, he's concerned about their suffering in general just because they live in a fractured world and their lives are fractured, but also because they're Christians. Uh, Some uh, people uh, uh, don't like that they believe in Jesus and they follow the way. And so they're... They're suffering as a result of that, and and so James wants them to know that 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 suffering is not without reason. It's almost like James it has a pastoral logic here that he's walking us through these verses, and so hear them in light of the a, a, a logic that a pastor wants to prepare his congregation for suffering. He says, "Count it all joy, my brothers, and you can add my sisters." When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That that's verses two through four. Every word matters here. He begins by saying, "Count it." That's another way of saying, "Reckon it." When this happens to you, uh, though you're, the, though you're, you you may not be ready for it. It's time to think about it. It's time to consider it, to ask the question, why? In fact, you might be wondering why he's asking us to even think about it. Continue to follow the logic, which is his second point. You and I need to understand the purpose of suffering. Victor Franco, who survived uh, Auschwitz uh, and later became a psychiatrist, wrote a book A Man's Search for Meaning, and he had this uh, quote in it that that I've used often. He said, a man who has a why can face a have to. And that's what James is concerned with, giving us the why so that we can face the have to. James is being very honest and very pastoral here. He refuses to blow smoke here. He doesn't want you to think pie in the sky, by and by. Someday, circumstances are going to mock your profession of faith. The cruelty of life are going to suggest to you that God is not a good, good father. God's silence is that it might seem in the midst of your suffering to call into question that he cares for you. The meaninglessness of these seemingly random events that come into our lives are going to call into question God's power and love. James assumes that this is going to happen to us, to his parish, to his people, that when we suffer, Pain will raise questions in your mind and heart. Keep following the logic here. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith. Whatever comes next, whatever it says testing of your faith produces, whatever that is, it's got to be worth a lot for James to dare to say it compensates for all the pain. The word steadfastness that James uses there, if you have an English Standard Version that I read from, it says steadfast. But the Greek word that it's translating in some other translations, it'll say the word perseverance or endurance or patience. In fact, James, our translators in the English Standard Version, uses all four of those words for the same Greek word within his own letter. The word that is being translated, it has no English equivalent, which is why they use these four different words, is hupomone. And hupomone for, for uh, Greeks is two Greek words that have been put together to try to get at what suffering produces. Hupomone, hupo meaning um, under, And mone, meaning to stand or to remain. And so when you think of uh, what James is saying when he says, for you know the testing of your faith, this suffering test your faith, it produces hupomone. It's another way of saying that it produces a way for you to remain under or to stand up under the weight of something heavy. It's like carrying a a load for a long time, the skill that's necessary, the ability to be able to do that is what the testing of the faith produces so that when suffering comes, you're not crushed and destroyed under the weight of it. And so suffering produces hupomonee. You might be saying, I don't want monet. I, I don't blame you. I don't want hupomone. What I want is what I lost, what so painfully has been taken away. I want the pain to stop. James La- uh, Loder, who is a, a church historian, when he was about uh, 30 years old, he was in a terrible car accident. And later, he wrote a book called The Transforming Moment. About that particular moment, but he also did research about other people who had these transforma- uh, transforming moments in their lives when something significant happened that changed uh, the way in which they saw the world, the way they saw their lives, the way they even saw God. He tells the story of a man in this book who every day he went to work, he caught the train uh, to go to work, and one day he wasn't paying attention where he was walking, and he fell between the train and the platform, and he was wedged in there. Now, he knew that the moment that that train closed its doors and started moving, he would be crushed, cut in half. And so he began to cry out to God, 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 Please save me. Send somebody to get me out of this. If you get me out of this, I'll do anything you ask. Just tell me what you want me uh, uh, to do. Get me out of this. Well, sure enough, people saw him fall and they ran over to him. They got him out of the being wedged in there, but he had he had hurt himself. So they they took him to check him out at the hospital. And while he was in the hospital bed and 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 recovering, he began to re bargain with God. God. Obviously, you're not going to hold me uh, to that promise. I'll, I'll do some things, but not just anything. Well, James Louder when he, when he uh, wrote this story, he has this comment, and I think it's important in this context about our suffering. He says, is it possible that this man was closer to understanding the fundamental reality of his life while being crushed in pain against that platform than when he was reclining in the hospital bed. Sometimes God's presence can be discovered at the center of one's life all the more vividly and all the more precisely when we are most aware of our need for God. What Louder is saying is that when things are going well for us, when we're prospering, when we're successful, when our health is good, we don't even we're not even aware of our need for God. And in some cases we're ignoring him altogether. But when things don't go well, when we're suffering, one of the ways that suffering impacts is it becomes a test of the faith that we have. It is then that we're more, most acute of our need. And therefore, it is when we turn to God most deeply. That's why James says, the testing for your faith produces hupomone. But why is it so valuable that it is worth going through what you're going through, what I'm going through? James knows you're asking this question. And so we have to keep following his pastoral logic, which brings us to the, to the third point, is that we need to let suffering have its full effect. Not, not just enter into suffering, but it's going to have its full effect. Somebody asked uh, uh, Sunday, Is does that mean that we have to stay in suffering? That is a bad situation, even if we could get out? No, of course not. Full effect doesn't mean that you suffer as much as you can suffer. Suffering to have its full effect means that it becomes a transformative moment for you. That literally it changes everything about the way in which you see uh, God, the way you see yourself and the world in which you live. That's why James says that let hupomone have its full effect, its intended outcome, so that, here's the because, here's the reason why, that you may be perfect, that you might be complete, so that you might lack nothing. The word perfect that he's using here means wholeness. It doesn't doesn't mean holiness. It means wholeness. That that you and I in this world that we live in are all fractured. Think of it as a vase that is broken. That suffering is God's shortcut to begin to put the broken pieces back together. And that's what we are lacking, wholeness. And that somehow, in a way that normal living, normal studying scripture, normal relationships can't or or slowly um, uh, give us what we're lacking, uh, bringing us back together, reintegrating us in a way that suffering seems to to push faster through and creates. Presumably, suffering means you've lost something precious to you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be painful. If I lose a penny, it's no skin off my nose. I lose my savings or my retirement. That's a much bigger deal. I'm in way more pain. If if I lose a pet gerbil, though that's sad, it's not the same thing as losing one of my children or my spouse. That's all it means. But the truth is, even before this terrible thing happened, I was already missing something that I didn't even know that I was missing. And maybe that's true for you too, that one of the things that suffering produces, the hupomone in its full effect, is that it reveals to you what you've been trusting in, what, what, what you have been leaning on, what, what has been most important to you Other than God. And the only way you would have been aware of that, the only way that you would have taken notice is that thing that you've been trusting in, that thing that you felt like you had to have in your life is taken away. And therefore, in a way, a suffering is God's chosen path to wholeness. Why does it have to be this way? That's a great question to ask. The, the story I think about is uh, the one of uh, the lumberjack who goes into the woods because he's going to clear a section uh, because he wants to build his own house. And so he's got to cut down on a number of trees. And he goes in and, he, and in one of the trees that he wants to begin with has a bird's nest where a mother bird has already begun to prepare a nest to eventually uh, have her Uh, eggs, and then ultimately her uh, babies in. And so he he doesn't want to scare the bird, but he wants the bird to move on. And so he takes the axe, and rather than begin to cut it down, he turns it around and bluntly uh, hits on the tree that shakes the tree, so the bird realizes this isn't a safe place to raise a family. And sure enough, that's what happens to the bird. The bird flies from uh, that tree and and flies to another tree. Well, after the... the, uh, Lumberjack cuts that tree down, he moves on to the tree that the bird's in and does it. repeats this over again, and, and the bird flies to another tree, and then he has to do it again. And, and finally, the bird gets a clue, and, and rather than building uh, her nest on a tree, flies to a cliff, to a rock, and builds it there. And the illustration here is, is that that's what we do we're we're building our trust we're 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 building our assurance in things and people that aren't god they're not the rock they're not Jesus christ they're something else and, and though they 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 might be a pine tree or a an oak tree or a redwood tree they're not Jesus and one of the things that suffering does when it tests our faith and when we let it go to its full effect, it's not about the length of time or this, the amount of suffering and pain, but simply that it gets us all the way to the point where we only trust in Jesus. We only rely on him. I know you might feel like I do that I don't want monay, But the truth is, is that every tree that is not Jesus is coming down. This is kind of like a a severe mercy of God that compels us to build our lives on the rock of Christ. But sadly, you and I, or at least me, maybe you're not like this. I want to build my house and my life on just another tree, maybe a bigger one, maybe a better one. But God wants something even bigger and better than that to build it on Christ that never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You might be asking, how can how can something that breaks my heart like loss or addiction or there's so many other trials that come in our way? How can something that breaks my heart be counted as joy? You and I are living in the real world. And the truth is, you you and I cannot find joy here in any tree. It's not like we can find joy over here or over there if we just had a, a stronger tree. We didn't even know we were trusting in those things until the test came, until the suffering ha- happened. Trials are always asking us, do you love God more than all of these? I'm not saying, and James certainly isn't saying, that suffering is joyful. That would be a contortion, a uh, a monstrosity of what James is saying here. He's a pastor. He's not insane. He's concerned that if they don't let hupomone have its full effect, his people will not rest in Jesus. And therefore, what they had placed their rest in will not be sufficient for the test that comes into their lives. And that's why joy is not in the suffering because it says count it all joy, consider it joy because of its outcome, not because of the process. I know we don't want it. I, I think you're a little masochistic to say that you want suffering. But the truth is, you and I will never believe what we need most is God unless that which we have already placed our trust in is exposed until the tree is shaken. We believe we need something else in addition to God. But the purpose of suffering is not because God hates you or wants to punish you or because something you have done, but simply because he wants you to trust in him. And that's when it takes its full effect. One of the last things I want us to look at before we leave is back in, in verse 1 where he begins and says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that James, he understands hupomone. He's experienced himself. and And in order to explain that, you have to know who James is. This isn't James... the the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. He was killed according to Acts 12 and 44 AD by Herod Agrippa. This is a different James. And because only one word, one name is being used, I understand it's a little confusing. Uh, But because he's only using one name, you can assume that his, his writers knew who he was. He is, most scholars believe, the little brother of Jesus. And he knew Jesus really well. He grew up in the same house. And, and don't think of a house today where everybody had their own room. James and, John, and Jesus probably lived in the same room with everyone else, a kind of a one-room house. He knew everything. He had a front-row seat to Jesus' teaching, Jesus' miracles. But John chapter 7 tells us that, that James didn't believe, like the rest of his family, that Jesus was the Christ. And yet he, he watches Jesus be arrested and tried and executed, all for blasphemy from a Jewish perspective. Imagine all the shame and guilt to watch his brother die, to think that the movement was over. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus began his 40 days of appearing after his resurrection, it says that he appeared to over 500 people. But then it says, then he also appeared to James. Jews didn't believe in um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They, They believed in one God. And so when James says that Jesus is Lord after the resurrection because he has seen Jesus. It changes everything about James. He becomes a giant in the church. In fact, in Acts 15, he's the man who stands up and said, this is what we're going to do with all these Gentiles who are coming into the church. And then and then when Peter leaves Jerusalem, James becomes the pastor of the Jews, where on one day 3,000 people come to Christ, and then a week later it's 5,000. A very large church. The reason James can write about hupomone is because of his own hupomone. Not only did he have that grief and shame and disappointment that he didn't believe it, that his brother was the Christ and he came back as the Christ, and that was tremendous, a pain and a test of his faith. But if just a few short years after he writes this letter, when this church is rapidly growing, the Jews... And the Romans, in addition, began to persecute Christians. And one of the things they did is they went around and arrested the leaders. And one of them was James. And they told James, because there's no way to arrest all the Christians, but if you can get the leaders to recant their faith, if the leaders could say that Jesus isn't the Christ, the Messiah, then everybody would follow. So they asked James, James, we'll let you live if you just will say that Jesus is not Lord. Even the Romans have, have a stake in this because they don't, they don't want followers of Jesus and they're the ones who are saying that Caesar is Lord. And when James refuses to say that Jesus is not Lord, he's not God, they take him up to the temple top and they throw him off. And miraculously, history uh, tells us that he survived the fall. And so the townspeople, the people in Jerusalem, picked up sticks and rocks and they beat him to death. All because he said Jesus is Lord. He knew all about Hupomone, which is the reason why he could write to us about Hupomone. To let it have its full effect. To, so that we could see that even our very lives on earth are not worth... Our trust are not worth putting our investment in. The only Jesus is the rock by which we can stand. One more person who amazingly stood up under suffering. And it's the one that James points to, even without ever mentioning the word gospel or cross or resurrection. Jesus himself, his big brother. James knows that Jesus had to go through hupomone and have its full effect. Because in the garden, Jesus says, what? Let let this cup pass from me. He's beginning to have his own faith and trust in his father challenge. And then he ends it with, not my will, but thy will be done. What James realizes, your ability to stand up under suffering, your hupomone, comes because Jesus hupomoned his suffering. And therefore, we're empowered by what Jesus has done for us to let sorrow do its work in my life and in your life. Grief and pain are God's sweet messengers. Every tree that you and I have ever built to nest in, to rest in, to put our trust in, are coming down. And God's way to bring them down one by one, just like that lumberjack, sometimes gently and sometimes not so gently, so that we'll leave the trees that cannot stand to fly to the rock and build our nest there. It is because God is good. And cares and loving that he allows suffering to have its full effect in producing in us a trust, a faith, a place to rest in that can face the hard things that come into our lives. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord to take this word, this, this truth that we've been listening to from James's letter this morning to empower us to live differently. Father, thank you so much that you graciously love us and prepare us for living in a fractured world as fractured people and that your goal is to make us whole and that your process to do that is through the testing of our faith. And when it has its full effect, we abandon all of the things that we have been trusting in that are not you so that we would trust in you and you alone, that we would truly, as St. Augustine said, have our rest in you. And until then, we have no rest in this world. And Father, so I, I pray that the people here do not fear in the midst of the hard things, but we rejoice not in the suffering themselves, but that we know that from them we will be more like Jesus. For you, our God, are in our midst. You're the one who saves us, not these things we have trusted in, even these good things in our lives. Father, we trust in the midst of everything that happens to us that you rejoice over us with gladness. You quiet us with your love and that you exalt over us with loud singing. And we have to admit that sometimes we don't feel that way, and particularly when we are suffering and it is testing our faith and what we believe about you and your goodness and care for us. Empower us, build us up, make us whole. In Jesus' name, amen.